I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this for the culture, for my coast, and for my city. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. 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 And I'm your host, Merce. 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 What up, though? What up, though? All right, I'm going to keep going with it, y'all. This is episode nine of the Best Rapper in L.A. podcast. And this one coincides perfectly with the release of a new Living Legends album. I'm going to talk about the release of the first Living Legends album, which I don't really remember. remember very little about this album, a little bit more about the tours that followed. So I'm going to tell some tour stories. I'm going to tell the origin story, hopefully for the last time. A lot of you have heard it, so feel free to skip through this episode. I am not on the new Living Legends album. I do not have beef with anybody in Living Legends. I no longer write and record rap songs. This album was recorded after that. So we'll leave it there. But I've always been kind of loosely around the crew. I've never been on air. I'm the guy that's on every song or on every tour. I've been doing my own thing since the very beginning. This album is very evident of it because when it came up, I was like, I could probably do one podcast on all the Living Legends albums because I wasn't really involved in uh, that. I know that the title was because I, I feel like it was and I think Lucky may disagree and that's fine. Uh, but I watched Almost Famous a lot. So you're the kid who's been sending me those articles from the school newspaper. What do you like, the star of your school? They hate me. This is Rolling Stone magazine. We got a couple copies of your stories. I think you should be writing for us. We can only pay, let me see, $700. Cinema is a big part of who I am as a human and an artist. It's something I always wanted to do. I've Made a couple films, short films and one full-length feature film. Walk Like a Man. There's a short film on a Murray's Revenge DVD. And then there is Mall Dogs, which is on Amazon Prime, Tubi, everywhere for you see M-A-U-L-D-O-G-S, don't blame me, it's horrible. D1, Tabby Bonet, and Academy Award nominee Eric Roberts. I think we're ready. Small dogs. I like cinema. I am the one that brought a lot of the movies around Living Legends. Even the song Local Talent, if you know old Living Legends stuff. I was pissed because I wasn't on the song and they sampled Juice, which is my favorite movie. Usually if a movie was sampled, it was from my collection. I'm obsessed with cinema to a certain extent. I'm not a cinephile, but 
I did want to major in film and music business at NYU. My grades couldn't afford it, and neither could my mother. That said, Almost Famous, the title, I knew I had that influence, but that's probably about as deep as my influence goes. I, I showed up for the album cover shoot, but as you can see for, on the cover, I was the first one with the Living Legends Letterman's jacket. I definitely like to represent for the crew. I won't say I was rogue, but, uh, you know, I was definitely going repping solo while they were nailing down the West Coast. And in my opinion, I felt like they were nailing it down too firmly. I wanted to branch out and do other things, but not under the banner of any other crew, as some have suggested over the years. I've always, whether well, 316, Merch for President, uh, I feel like maybe even on this last album that you guys haven't heard yet, always said Living Legends. Um, I have one rap crew, so to speak. I have worked with many other different rappers. This album, I came in to one session and did, I believe I did all of my songs in that one session, and they called me to take the pictures for the album cover. The funny thing about the album cover, I think we shot it at this After Hours on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was a man named Charlie Collins, who, when I was 15, allowed me to intern or street team for him at BMG Jive Records. He was something there, and he was a white dude that used to shop at Martin's Records in Midtown. And I believe at the behest of Martin, he took me on as an intern, let me put up Tool stickers. Uh, I was on the street team for Tool. I had no idea what Tool was or who Tool was until I met Slug <laughs> years later. So in 90, whatever, 93, 92, I was putting up Tool stickers. I don't even know if I've still heard any, like, a full Tool album. But that was a little unique thing, what quirky, weird, synchronistic moment when I showed up and I was like, oh, shit, Charlie Collins. We're shooting our album cover at your spot uh, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I believe that's all I remember from that day. And I believe the studio we recorded was somewhere in the valley. I want to feel like I feel like maybe later I found out that's like where Corrupt recorded. And I, I feel like it's also, if you've ever seen the, the Punked with the Game, I believe it's the same studio, but I could be wrong. The Valley was still a very, very new place in uncharted territory for me, the San Fernando Valley to be specific. Living Legends. That's the cover story. Maybe I should have told the origin story first. That's the story of the cover. The origin story... From my perspective, and I'm sure, I hope as they roll out this album, they'll finally nail this down. There's a documentary in the works. I hope they nail it down in there as well. I, I, I'll continue to say I'm not very involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. I don't know who did the logo. Many other things. Sunspot Jones is the first living legend. He was a brother from another planet, a.k.a. BFAP. The Mystic Journey Man, I believe, was the tape. He met Lucky at a party on a naval base or something. They started rapping together. I don't know. I would assume Navy, maybe Alameda. I think there's a base somewhere. I don't know that you... I hope they tell the story. This is my understanding. Tom, Lucky, Tommy. I'll slip up. Tommy and Corey. Corey is Sunspot. Tommy is Lucky. 
this is how I met them, their names. Uh, then it was Sun, I don't know if it was BFAP, the brother from another planet, and PSC, the psychedelic stepchild. They formed Mystic Journey Men. They were on the Bomb Hip Hop compilation with a song called Swing. You'll check it. I walk down the street with a fist on my posture. Cause suckers always wanna come and try me, so I gotta beware of the stairs. Cause no one can be trusted. Then they put out 4001. They lived in a warehouse at 4001 San Leandro. I just drove by it and I think it's for sale. You can see it if you ride the uh, Richmond BART. I saw it and I wanted to take a picture and I didn't grab one. Legendary spot. I believe Razzcast exhibit. Many rappers on the come up slept in that warehouse. I believe that's 92, 93, maybe 93, 94. I wasn't in the bay yet. Young Merce was in a group called Funky Chaos, like we talked about as we spoke of in the Netherworlds episode. Then 3MG. Before 3MG, there was a crew called Sons of Nishak. Eli and Scarab were in a group with a young man named Savant, and they were the miscellaneous minds. They have a song, Submental. Which is still probably next to Deadbent, the 12 inch version by MF Doom, my favorite rap song. So I joined as a DJ with DJ Sage, AKA Jesse Shatkin, who is the producer of God's work and the producer of my last album, Love and Rockets 316. And one of my good friends who we had a DJ and DJ crew called Stylus Groove and uh, originally Faith Santia was in that group as well. So it was Faith, Jesse, myself, Eli, Scarab, and Savant. That was Sons of Nishak. I think we all came up to it collectively, mostly I believe Eli and Scarab with Scarab with the Nishak and Sons, maybe me, S-U-N-Z, UV, get it, because the sun, UV. I say it in sunspray. Sons of Nishak will always reign supreme, hitting you beans with unforeseen gleam, a glare. So Sons of Nishak, when 3MG started, miscellaneous minds broke up. That's not my story to tell. I wish I would have thought about it before, but we wouldn't be here. Sons of Nishak, Trinell, or Savant left, and... We started Three Melancholy Gypsies. Myself, Eli, and Scarab, we recorded the song Sunsprayed. Soon after, we got into a crew called Log Cabin with T.S. Radio Inactive, Malik the Problem Child, Saga, Porridge, a.k.a. Nose, Cookbook, and Uno of L.A. Symphony. They were in a group called The Eternals. And I believe that was the original Log Cabin crew go on and grab and let go of other members. One of the members we grabbed up was a young man named Boof. Boofzilla, rest in peace, just heard recently that he passed. Boof was insane in the best way possible. Boof is the way, one of the reasons I moved to the Bay. There was a young lady and then there was him convincing me. And I believe Boof 
had beef with the Mystic. He was representing Log Cabin. The story is, at a Dell show, he got on stage while Dell was taking a break. He got into it with Mystic Journeyman because they were from the Bay and he was from LA. Something I don't know, but Booth was very uh, just banged out, so he was going to start a fight wherever he went. Booth called me and told me I should move to the Bay because he was able to steal from the grocery store. That's how I was making my living or how I was living sometimes when I didn't have food, still bread and food and cold cuts and shit from the grocery store. And he was like, We're, we can steal steaks, there's no beep-beeps at the Gap, where you could steal from the Gap, return the, the merchandise for cash. It was, you know, he was tagging, he was rapping, there was college with girls, so he, so he convinced me and I had a girlfriend. I moved there. I thought that I could enroll in Cabrillo College. I quit rapping. The Law Camera story is longer, but we tried to record an album. It never came out, contrary to popular belief. TS Radio and I, I believe, were the main ones putting in money. Me from working at the cleaners and selling weed. And TS and Radio had jobs. And we still couldn't have enough to pay the engineer to release the records. So he kept them, rightfully so. But I believe that gentleman is working with Scarab and Porridge or Danny or Nose. Wow, I don't know how what he's going by these days, but to make sure that you all get some good copies of the Log Cabin songs that never came out. We may do a Log Cabin podcast if I can collect all those songs. But I took my song, Red Dots. Um, I took Melancholy Manuscripts and Dire Straits, which were recorded for that, al- that compilation album, crew album, and I put them on commercial. We're getting ahead of ourselves. A log cabin broke up. There was the fight at the promenade, which was, you know, huge in the in the demise of log cabin. Unbeknownst to me, Eli moves to the Bay. He has a cousin in Berkeley. I had no idea. Or maybe I had an idea, but I didn't I had no idea. This is before Instagram or social media, and Eli and I weren't talking. We weren't on speaking terms, nor were we... You just I didn't have a phone. There was no cell phones, and I wasn't in a place where I could call. 818 was still long distance from L.A. So we kind of fell out of touch. Scarab was in school. I had connected with him a couple of times, but he was going to um, LAXA, L.A. County School for the Arts. We were all, 3MG was separated. I basically quit rapping. I found a girlfriend. I enrolled in Cabrillo College, studying botany and jazz, and that was going to be my life. Uh, my girlfriend gave a tape of freestyle tape that I had made with Thess and Double K at Thess's house. Gave it to the radio DJ, the Grinch, at the college station at UC Santa Cruz. And he said, I have to have him up here. So I brought Booth with me to go up there. Same day I had, unbeknownst to me, Mystic Journeyman were, were coming up there. Mystic Journeyman. This is a disjointed story. Um, Mystic Journeyman was a group I heard of first from Kevin, my friend who was a crip that lived two blocks away from me. He smoked weed, I smoked weed, we became friends or drug buddies. And uh, he would tell me, yo, cuz, since your mom's always kicking you out, you should move to the Bay and live with my brother. He does that weird old rap shit too, cuz. And... I was like, cool. He said, Mystic Journeyman. I heard Mystic Journeyman. I heard Swing. I said, no fucking way. 
there's no way I'm rapping with these guys. And Mystic Journeyman and the song, I thought there were some skinny little dudes that sold incense and did yoga, especially, you know, living in the Bay. This, this was my idea. I couldn't be more wrong. I walk into this radio station where there's one way in, one way out. It's a radio station, college. I guess, side note, on my way up to this radio station, also my life changed because I was going, learning botany because my goal was to avoid the New World Order. This is 1995. I'm reading Behold a Pale Horse and the New World Order by whoever the fuck Illuminati books. Buster Rhymes is saying there's only four years left. I believe it. I have to learn to grow my own food. Then I'm going to move somewhere to some land. Who knows how I'm going to buy this land and I'm going to grow something or I'm going to find someone some land and use my knowledge of horticulture, agriculture, botany, and grow shit for them so they allow me and my wife to live on this land as we evade the microchips and, and our skin and the new world order and all the shit that may just happen in a couple years now. So maybe we're 30 years early. Uh, so what? But I was preparing for that. As I walked from, I think, of the, the, the Betty Shabazz dorms on the on the UC Santa Cruz campus where all the um, black co-eds were housed to the radio station. It was pitch black, and uh, I, I forget the, the technical or the correct term for it, but UC Santa Cruz, I think, thanks to Ronald Reagan, is built as basically eco-friendly. It's not invasive to the nature that was already there. So animals walk freely at that time, I don't know what it's like now, through the campus. It's pitch black. I have never seen dark like that in, in California, in Florida, visiting my cousins. But, you know, that's different because there's fireflies and I just feel more comfortable there on that land. This is the woods. There's trees. Yeah, also, Florida, where my family's from, is just flat. And most of Florida's flat. So if it's pitch black, at least you're not walking through. And there's roads and stuff where my family is. Dirt roads, but still roads. This is a trail that leads to the radio station. It's pitch black. There's huge trees. And I see a raccoon the size of a dog. And I, you know, go with my city boy, stomp. Like, move. It does not move. It does not flinch. And at that moment, as I go to the radio station, my dreams of being a hippie, dreadlocked, earthy, vegan farmer disappear. I am a city boy. I am not ready for this type. I don't, and I'm a vegan. I don't want to kill the animal. It's just, it's just living. It's nighttime. A raccoon belongs out in the forest foraging. It's a nocturnal creature. I am the one out of place walking to do transmit my raps via radio waves. There's a way to drive up. I didn't find that way. I'm probably being pranked and was told to walk through the woods to the thing. I made it, fearing for my life. Then I make it into the radio station where I see Mystic Journeyman, and I also then begin to fear, not for my life, but it's a fight because the Mystic Journeyman look like they eat weights. They look, I did not know that Tom and Corey, Sunspot, and PSC were gigantic muscle-bound underground rappers. I had never seen such a thing. But apparently all they did was lift weights and make rap songs and eat Top Ramen and and uh, cheese food spread. It's the little squares of cheese. If you ever look at it, they're actually called cheese food spread because I don't believe they're allowed to be called cheese or they're called craft singles. But since we, or they and soon to be me, weren't well off enough to afford craft singles, we had cheese food spread. 99 cent bread loaves, cheese food spread, mayonnaise, and mustard. 
no lettuce or tomato. That was, and top ramen was a diet. And these men were on that diet along with lifting lots, pumping iron. The greatest feeling you can get in a gym or the most satisfying feeling you can get in the gym is the pump. Let's say you train your biceps. Blood is rushing into your muscles, and that's what we call the pump. Your muscles get so the hip-hop Arnold Schwarzeneggers are rapping there with a skinny white dude that is called the Grouch. I'm with Booth. The DJ Grinch is in the middle, and I look across the table at these huge muscle-bound rappers that see Booth and really, you know, of course, you can't forget Booth. They remember him. And I'm thinking we're going to have to fight because Booth doesn't know how not to fight. Booth uh, was a man that the guys I wrote red dots about were in a tagging crew and they terrorized me for years and years. And that's why I made the song. But they were a little bit older than me. But at that time, I seemed older. Um, they had pulled guns. I beat them in a rap battle at a nightclub where I should probably have been when I was 15. They were a little older. Some, by happenstance, they found out what school I went to. They were at every other nightclub after that and they would bully me, circle me, um... I, they, they never robbed me. They never put their hands. They would just intimidate me. And like, it was it was traumatic for me. But I, I wrote the song about them. My first song was about a story rap about killing them in a very creative way. I entered through the cellar with a rusty propeller-like object, sharpened to perfection. I was standing behind my first victim. He was in the washing section. Holding his doctor, standing in erection. My weapon made a connection at his neck, severing his vocal cords before he could scream. Then when I started hanging out in Cloverdale, they, they were like, we bully those guys. Fuck those guys. They better not ever say anything to you. And I was like, oh, now I have guys that have my back. Because they they, it was never one-on-one. -on -one. It was always a gang of them and a gun trying to just, just talk shit. They were just like scaring me. But that ceased when I was taken in by uh, my, my best friend Terry and his cousins and his brothers. So that was great. Then I met Boof, and Boof was like, oh, they're in my crew. And Boof was definitely the muscle in that crew, so he told them to chill out as well. Boof, my brother, Boof went to jail, and he would call me, and... uh <laughs> Oh, man, he was such just... A, and I, I He was like, hey, 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 cuz, like, I'm in, I'm in the psych war, cuz. I was like, you know, and telling me as if I could use information, but if you ever go to jail, cuz, uh, just play crazy, cuz then you get to go into the psych ward, and what he was doing was there. He went there and just, just bullied all the inmates for their pills. So he just stayed high as a kite. And also out of general pop, so he didn't have any real, real problems. Not that he couldn't handle them, but who, from his point of view, why wouldn't I want to be extremely medicated and and not have to fight every day? It was the way I say brilliant. I met Booth on the bus, on the thirty three bus coming from Hamilton or coming from somewhere, not probably not school, and he saw me on my Walkman, which most people did. And because of how I looked, they didn't ever care to ask what I was looking for. And even then, Walkmans weren't big with, with kids. Kids weren't loving music the way I was loving music. So I was listening to music. What you listening to? And I played it for him. It was Brooklyn Zoo. And he's like, where the fuck did you get this, cuz? Yeah. What? What? Tell what? That nigga, yo. I'm like, 
I'm going to the record store right now, right? She, come on, let's go. And we became instant friends. I took him to Martin's, he bought the tape, and we just exchanged numbers. We became friends from that. And I think I'm how we got into Law Cabin. He goes to jail. When he comes home, it's Thanksgiving. I said, he called me, collects that he's coming home. So I, I said, come to my house. He comes to my house. Jizza had just dropped Liquid Swords. Yeah. Put your blood baths and elevate the shafts like these motorist rhymes tight from genuine craft. Check the print. Swear veterans, spark the lettering. Slow moving MCs is waiting for the editing. The liquid soluble that made up the chemistry of gaseous cell. And he's like, cuz I was just singing this the whole time because I guess he had it in his walkman when he got locked up. So he, they when he got his personals, he got it back. He had been playing it all day, but he's like, when I was locked up, I just kept singing it. And I could see him high as a kite and whatever wherever they put the insane people. So I put it on my brother's uh, little boombox we had in the backyard. When the MCs came, tell them about their names, man. To perform some bad, to smoke cocaine, to act insane. With the poor heat rocking on. I can see now he had on a, a bootleg Duke, blue Duke jersey, basketball jersey. And he started doing windmills on the concrete. I just looked at his shoulders, scrape. I don't know what he was on. He could have, he could have, no booth, no, it could have been nothing, could have been LSD, could have been Sherm, could have been shrooms. But he was doing continuous windmills to liquid swords in my backyard on the concrete. The most hip-hop, psycho, crazy, gangster, Wu-Tang loving shit I ever seen in my life. And he sat down and ate Thanksgiving dinners with his scratch-up shoulders. And so when my brother sees him, he's like, Nicholas, that guy almost like killed. Like he's like, I know that guy. He came on the bus one day and just reached over the bus driver and wrote on the front windshield <laughs> with the scribe, and then re looked at me and then reached over me and wrote his name on the wall. On and, and like he just tagged up the whole bus and then walked off the bus. And my brother thought he was gonna steal his chain and his Walkman. Booth was a presence. Back to this recording booth in Santa Cruz. The year is 19, has to be either late 95 or early 96. I think we're gonna fight. I'm like, I could take the white guy. There's no way I'm taking these two. And even Booth, I, I've seen him do some things, but these two dudes are too huge. So we start freestyling, the looks are being exchanged. So I start freestyling it about Kevin and Meadowbrook, which is the street that Lucky and Kevin and I grew up on. And Lucky says, you knew Kevin, and that kills everything. And fast forward, I eventually end up sleeping on Lucky's floor. And me and Lucky and Sunspot eventually end up living in a new warehouse, the outhouse, not the 4001 outhouse, uh, warehouse. So what Kevin told me to do years ago came true eventually. We didn't fight that day. Lucky took me under his wing, invited me up to the bay where I took the 17 from downtown Santa Cruz to another bus in San Jose, which took me to the Fremont BART. I hopped off the bus at MacArthur, BART MacArthur. Uh, that is a line I had in a song by these hands called Where I'm From. I remember up in San Jose, had all my bags packed. I was fresh up off the train in the bay. Headed to the bay, I had a plan to be the illest brother, take a mic off 
they lived in near the MacArthur BART. And I can't stress to you all enough what it was like traveling pre-GPS. Just pagers. I didn't even have a pager. I just had their number and some directions written down. Directions written down from public transportation, how to get from Santa Cruz to Oakland. Try it sometime. Thank you. I get there. They force me on a song with a Japanese dude I never met in my life. His name is Arata. And we do a song about the cyberspace. Time will bring us change, but change won't bring us time. Lost in cyberspace, 1999. That was the hook. We recorded the song, and I want to say the next week or maybe the next day, they took me to La Pena to perform it, which is my really my own second or third rap performance in my life. And it's with someone who doesn't even speak English. Arata's versus in Japanese. He's from Osaka. They met Arata on Telegraph. Trying to, Arata was trying to buy weed. He was a Japanese exchange student who was in America in Berkeley on a student visa who had just left Jamaica, I believe, where he was trying to do dance hall and just enjoy marijuana. And he, then he came to America and he tried to buy some weed. Sunspot, I think they lied, just dropped Balloon Mind State, so Japanese rap was a thing. He just made, and Sunspot could make you, he's physically intimidating, he would make you do things. Or he would, you would have to see Mr. Charlie, a.k.a. him giving you a Charlie horse or punching you in your thigh meat. Hard AF. I killed Mr. Charlie because I'm from a different culture, man. I don't think Sunspot was scared of me at all, but I'm a hyper-aggressive. Like, I'm from gang culture. I was like, motherfucker, like, cuz, you ain't gonna be hitting on me. There ain't gonna be too many more you hitting on me, my nigga. Or we, it's, it's, a, it's a fight. I'm gonna stab you. What, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but don't do that shit. And everybody else took it, like, as a joke. Like, camaraderie, boys being boys. I was not having it. And I was shamed, as I should have been, like, uh, PSC was kind of like, bro, you killed Mr. Charlie. Like, come on, bro. Why are you getting all serious? Because I'm sure some of was like, yo, I'm going to break your little homie's neck if you, you know what it is. And anyway, so this apartment's where the um, blood, blood, what's that all about? Tommy got these bras saying blood in his house because he had a girlfriend and her sister was a very beautiful young lady and they smoked beaties and they were amazing. I had never seen such beauty and hood at the same time so we're playing street fire she's beating my ass she's like yeah blood yeah blood uh yeah blood yeah yeah blood yeah and finally it got to the point where i had enough and i stormed out but i was so mad and and i'm like tommy i gotta talk to you come here i was like hey cuz why you got these bitches in the house blood and disrespecting and shit and uh <laughs> he started laughing the biggest, if you see her PSC laugh is fucking lucky. Laugh is legendary, literally, no pun intended. But, and he's like, blood is what people say because they are 
friends. This is what people say in Oakland. They say blood. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started coming up from Santa Cruz and pretty much soon, once again, I was back to ditching school to make raps. Although I had moved to the Bay and promised my mother that if she let me use the $1,500 my stepfather left us when he passed away, uh, that was the issue also. It's where I know I mentioned my stepbrother in Netherworld's issue. He was my stepbrother for maybe four or five years, technically. Then my mom left his dad, and when his dad died, I think we got a sum. I, my brother got $1,500. I got $1,500 from the life insurance, and my mom may have got $5,000, and he was upset about that for whatever reason. So, But this $1,500 changed my life. So I used seven fifty dollars to move to the Bay, put down my first and last on an apartment, and enroll in school. And then I was supposed to get a job, start paying rent, and the $1,500 like starter cash for my new life. And I quit to promise my mom I was done rapping. And I was. I, I, I was ready to... I, I'm moving to the wilderness with my Ethiopian girlfriend. We're going to raise Ethiopian children. No one's going to shave or cut their hair. We will be Rastas in the wild living off the land. And I, I didn't smoke weed. I was just committed to all the other facets of Rastafari and things of that nature, or something like it. We uh, didn't make it. The relationship didn't make it. I didn't make it as a student. <laughs> and I was back spending all my money selling weed, trying to rap. One night after a show, I believe it was like Il Parada or something in San Francisco, Sunspot basically gave me the ultimatum. I've imitated him multiple times. Motherfucker, is you going to be, control your destiny, motherfucker? Is you going, you know, do you want to rap? Like very Mr. Charlie, halftime college football coach speech, poking me in the chest. And I said, yeah. So I called my mom. I said, mom, I'm dropping out of school. I'm using the other 750 to buy a plane ticket. We're going to tour Europe. Reality is the mystic journeymen who have gone to Europe two times by now, they forewent paying their rent. They got eviction notice. They decided to go to Europe instead. They had one show and they turned that into multiple shows. That show turned into a second trip where they took their roommate, Corey. Corey is their roommate that they moved in with after they got back from Europe, I believe, and didn't have a place to live. Something like that. Corey and Johnson was Sunspot. Corey Scoffer is the grouch. The grouch wasn't the grouch, but he, he rapped and he made beats. Uh, but everywhere Sunspot would go, he would say, this is my roommate, Corey the grouch as a joke and it caught on because it's Oakland and it's very wonderful kind of country kind of city and shit like that sticks so he became the grouch against his will but it is very 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 much who he was I don't feel my friend is a grouch now he's grouch-esque but he's such an evolved and better version of himself that's how the grouch was born mystic journey in the grouch they were hanging out with a couple other people, but I was the first person. Me and Arata went on tour. Arata is a true enigma. I don't know how his passport and visa, all that got clearance. He was in America on a Japanese student visa coming from Jamaica. And then we all went to Amsterdam. And as a parent now, I can see I'm calling my mother on the telephone and say, hey, you know, two months ago I enrolled in school and I've never put out an album that you've heard. You've never seen me rap. You've never heard me rap. Yet, I'm headed on my first tour. I'm going overseas. My mom is 70 years old, and I love her dearly, wholly and completely. My mom just left the country for the first time and went to Jamaica. 
I wish it wasn't so. I've tried to encourage her. My mom is a workaholic. I wouldn't be here without her. I'm glad she finally did it. She loved it. So a woman who wasn't going to leave the country for another 30 years has a son that is 17 years old at the time. And I'm telling her, I'm going to get a passport. I'm creating a cassette. And I'm going to be going on tour in Europe. I can understand. I, I, with $750, I'm going to eventually, from this $750 and this decision, I do make millions of dollars. I do get a major label record deal. I do go on to do phenomenal things, help lots of people, make music that touches people's hearts and souls, along with seven other people that do that. But I could see how it was hard for her to grasp. So she says, once you do this, you're cut off. We go, the tour... Uh, man, the tour, I land in Amsterdam. We take a train. I think the train is a tram. The train is not a tram. We take the train that's not a tram to Groningen Halle. Dames and heren, the intercity naar Schiedam Centrum, Delft, Den Haag, Holland Spoor, Den Haag, Laan van Nieuw-Oost. We're staying with the zombie squad, who is a group from Groningen. And I believe I'm, to me, it's New York style buildings. They look like the project. I, they're in Groningen, they live in the projects. We're going to their projects or their apartment building. Europa Plein, Rai Amsterdam Convention Center, uitstappende rechterzijde. We get off the train and the people with the fucking there's people I, I feel like they were they had like the rifles like the federales do in mexico and uh they're like yo you didn't pay for the train i have 28 us dollars i have my dad had passed away right before we left and uh my aunt gave me his old army bag i still don't know what branch of the armed forces my dad was in but she gave that to me literally just the bag so i have that bag filled with my clothes i have 100 cassette tapes in there it's my only checked bag. I have a talk boy uh, from the movie Home Alone 2 that I was recording everyone on to document the trip. And that's it. And $28. They take my $28 and then it starts to snow. I, if I, I couldn't write it more. It literally starts to snow. As soon as I, they walk off with my money, we're walking down the stairs. It's snowing. I've never been in the snow. I've never been in there. It's like early April 1996. I just turned 18. And uh, yeah, it was an epic trip. We did two or three orphanages. We bullied our way onto the far side. I couldn't go afford to get to Amsterdam, but they went to Amsterdam and went to Old Dirty Bastard Show. And what we would do if we saw an American group is we would say, hey, we're with the band. And before the internet, you're black, you're American. Of course you're with the band. So they would let us open. Some groups hate it. Um, apparently Old Dirty and his crew were cool with it. A couple members of the far side didn't like it. But I forgive you. I don't understand why you would hate on anyone just trying to get on. If they go to that length, like, what the fuck? You know, motherfuckers from L.A. and Oakland out here go rap, motherfucker. I was selling tapes outside of the, of the venues we went to and just everywhere we went, selling, trying to sell tapes. Back then, there were Gilders. <laughs> the infamous line is, I, I think we had, because I was running out of tapes. Believe it or not, we had three weeks to stay there. Nowhere to, no hotels. We never touched a hotel. We would meet people and sleep at their house. Uh, Mystic Journeyman had a record deal in Germany at the time. 
But the only they were allowed to stay at the owner's house because he was an indie owner of an independent label in Cologne, Germany. There wasn't a lot. I believe his name is Christoph. Shout out to Christoph. There wasn't room for us in Christoph's space. So there was five Americans. So only Tom Corey got to. Anyway, so we, we got to the last bit of our tapes. We raised the price. So in 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 Holland, it was Gilders. And so we were like, yo, 25 Gilders for a tape. And there was just one dude who said, 25 Gilders? And he was furious. He just, he was just like, I could still see the look on his, his hand out, his eyes closed, just like he was in pain. 25 Gilders? And they don't even have Gilders. But we were going between Deutschmarks and Franks and Gilders because pre the Euro. I had run out of tape, so I started, I brought some blunts, literal Philly blunts. I started selling them um, for five guilders or five, I think five marks. I don't remember where we were when I had to sell it. And the kid straight up asked me to see my gun. And I didn't know what the fuck he meant. But he meant because gangster culture there, there were people there I met with St. Ives on top of their mantle. They, They treated like vintage champagne because it was in rap. So like the Philly blunts, like these are these were like artifacts to them. And me, I was like a walking artifact, like a walking exhibit. No pun. Let me see your gun cuz because I'm a black American, a young black American that raps, I, I obviously I brought my gun to Germany. Even this is pre-911, so there's no TSA. So I would have found a, I guess I found a way through. They still had metal detectors. But I guess I smuggled a gun and there in his mind, or just, I came with a gun, like some type of action figure. And that, although I wasn't on the road to making gangster rap, that was definitely another push for me to go in another lane because I realized when I speak to some people, I speak for all my people. And I always felt that responsibility, but I felt it even more so then. Just, I guess, for and we go back as we finish with the Netherworlds, just to be honest, not to be perfect on a record, but to be honest. I didn't have to make myself into some revolutionary, strictly revolutionary rapper, but I definitely didn't need to exaggerate or glorify uh, the genocide taking place in inner cities across America. Uh, oh, the other highlight or low light of the trip was sleeping in an abandoned building and have sunspot, having sunspot tell me that that was underground. I said, bro, there's like, I balled up, uh, like, I don't know, greasy, like stuck to the floor, gay porn everywhere. They gave us some sleeping bags, me or Rotten Grouch. Like, I could see my breath. You know, when you exhale so cold, like, I could see my breath in this, in when I breathe. And to sleep this is where I sleep. The toilet didn't flush. I, I, w- I would have rather slept in an airport, in a bus station, on a bus bench. This was basically outdoors, but it was dirty. And there's, it's Germany. Like, there's not there's not anything, anyone that's going to... Maybe the police will pick me up, but no one's... Like, you're not going to get killed or robbed. <sighs> they say, you want to be underground? This is underground shit right here, motherfucker. And I'm like, okay, man. I wanted, I wanted to, again, I wanted to fight because that's how I was processing. I was, I was scared and I was sad. I was disappointed and I was scared. But in my young mind, that meant I wanted to fight him. I was disappointed that he thought that was okay, and I was scared to spend the night there because it was unsafe and, un- and unclean. It wasn't un- I didn't fear for my life, but I was just like, I could catch something. 
I don't know what, but I felt like I, it was that filthy. All that finished. I all, I'm also touring in Europe. I only get to introduce Mystic Journeyman and or perform the only song that I have instrumentals, an instrumental to, because Sunspot did the beat, Thank You, Sunspot. I perform a song with a man speaking Japanese. So there's me and Arata are performing for people who don't speak English, who maybe speak a little English, but Dutch, French, or German is their first language, and we're performing a song in English and Japanese. That was the start of my career and freestyling wherever I could. But, you know, my, some of my metaphors, it's not as amazing if English isn't your first language, I would assume. That's why I think a lot of producers are huge in Europe, more so than rappers. We fly back. Lucky and Sunspot are living with their girlfriends at the time. I am sleeping in their living room. There's no furniture. There's a TV on the floor. No, there's no TV in the front room, I don't believe. And I sleep on the floor with my hoodie as my pillow and a sari, if you know, like the little thin pieces of sheer fabric. That is my, no blanket. And I learn, being a Californian, Southern California, that Northern California is fucking cold. And I don't even know what the heater was like in that building. Eventually, I find out that there's a song called something like The Raging Buffalo. And Grouch has a friend in Berkeley. They introduce him that to his cousin that's white that also raps from L.A. That cousin is Eli. Eli has no idea that I am living with or touring with Mystic Journeyman and The Grouch. So he does a song with The Grouch. Grouch has no idea that I know Eli because I'm not telling them about Sunsprayed or Law. Like, there's no way for us to know. I don't know when or how it all comes together. And I was like, oh, shit. Maybe it came together before the Europe trip or after the Europe trip. Tom and something happens where Tommy has to move out of the apartment or they both have to move out of the apartment. I believe Sunspot's girlfriend moves. So Sunspot moves with her. Tommy's girlfriend, who would become his first wife, moves. And we all have to move to Alameda to Grouch's mother's house in the basement. Now it is me, Arata, Aesop, Eli, Lucky and the Grouch living in a basement in a house in Alameda with Grouch's mother, his two little brothers, and his little sister. To my knowledge, there is one bathroom in this house. I don't know if there's a master bedroom bathroom that Grouch's mothers use. Please, I hope so. We all showered, shit, ate, and lived 10 people in this house, six of them being grown rappers, three of them being black men over the age of 18, living in a house with a young white woman under the age of 14. The trust, the love, the compassion, the support, I cannot describe how deep my respect and love runs for Grouch's mother. It was fucking chaos. We made music all night. We smoked weed, beaties, and drank liquor. We were scum of the earth. Literally, living in the basement, I guess that makes sense. Scum of the earth. Using her phone at all times. And, bro, I can't... I, I'm selling weed. I, I, 
I cannot believe it. I praise God. I thank the Lord for her and her kindness. She had children, whole children, like for real children upstairs, bro. Like, you know, and I, I keep putting race in there because I'm not like white children. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Oh, man. Uh, and, and Grouch for letting us, even proposing that to his mother and being down for us his brothers and sisters for showing love to us. And, you know, cause they could have just said, I feel uncomfortable. Fuck these guys. Like we're farting on his little brother. I'm farting, wrestling, like putting him in headlocks. Like we're family, like a for real family. I never felt uncomfortable for one fucking minute. And I should have, but in my mind, I knew that this isn't acceptable. Like we got to get out of here. But that was me myself pushing myself. I never felt uncomfortable one moment. Grouch used to deliver pizzas. He was the only one with a car. He used to deliver pizzas and paint soccer fields. And he taught, I had never played soccer. Me and, me and Grouch got in a fist fight because I said soccer was for homosexuals and Mexicans. I was ignorant and fucking stupid. And we got in a, a legitimate uh, fist fight. And we're in Grown Again, Holland, in this person's apartment or in the projects, wherever we were. And a year later, I'm asking him to please let me come paint soccer fields with him. I don't know if I was trying to get paid or just trying to like pay him back for letting me stay there. And now I'm a season ticket holder. I was a season ticket holder for the LA Galaxy um, soccer, and I'm obsessed with soccer. Life, life will humble you. Life will change you. We move out of the basement eventually. Living Legend starts to bubble. We start to blow up, kind of um, performing at the Alameda Saloon, um, standing out in front of Maritime Hall, selling tapes, all riding in crowd. I don't even know what model cars. One of those. 80s old car, late model sedans or however you say it, where the ceiling was made out of fabric and the ceiling's falling off. There's holes in the upholstery that's also made out of cloth. Grouch drove us everywhere. Um, still forever grateful for that as well. There's a tunnel between Alameda and the bay because it's an island, I guess, technically. And uh, shout out to Lucky for telling me it was okay to walk through this tunnel. It's a long tunnel that goes underwater with so much exhaust that you can you can write your name on the side. But we wanted to go to Telegraph, so we walked. We didn't have enough money to catch the AC Transit, the 51 bus. We didn't have enough. This is where my problem with Drake or anyone else saying they started from the bottom. No, I didn't have a job and I didn't have a hatchback that my mom passed down. Motherfucker. I didn't have a dollar twenty-five to go stand on the street and sell my music to people. I walked through a tunnel underwater where you're supposed to work if you're if you're a maintenance person to continue to walk through downtown Oakland, man, in 1996. Shit was very real. moved to deep east Oakland, deep east Oakland, east 14th and seminary to a, a warehouse we met Picasso. so now the crew is aesop how do we meet aesop aesop became sleeping in our basement aesop was somebody we saw at a club we heard he was selling tapes 
He had an album out called, I believe it was Demonstration, produced by Qua. There was no equivalent I built from the first molecule that I fused my mental mixture, incorporated to the picture. Figure I'm more complex than sex with no genitals. My genus categorizes me to be the meanest, the meanest, to dismiss the mass of my talent and construction. Qua is now the owner of Mixed Grounds Coffee in San Diego and Fresh Yard Records, who has put out the Mitchie Slick album, a Fashion album, and a production album compilation called The Gathering, produced by Servet Toronto. He runs a label with Walt Taylor, aka Clips 427, who you well know has produced uh, multiple songs for me by, the, at the, um, by now, and is now the co owner or president of Fresh Yard Records. Qua was living in San Leandro, he was doing song or produced Aesop's first tape and album. Aesop ran across Grouch early on in the game, and because Grouch was white, he tried to gouge him on a price. He may like gouging. He tried to sell, we were selling tapes for five dollars. He may try to sell Grouch a tape for ten or twenty dollars. Grouch told me this story, and I was furious. Fuck cuz, I'm gonna fight him. I once again. He disrespected my friend whose mother is letting me sleep at the house. I'm just a fucking irrational, erratic, little Napoleon complex, having pit bull of a fake crip. So I want to fight him up. And of course, I, I run up on him like, hey, cuz. I was like, what's up? Are you trying to sell the homie a fucking tape for fight? Blah, 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 blah. I'll fuck you up, nigga. Blah, whatever I said. And he's like, cuz, where are you from? You from Fresno? You from, I'm from Fresno, cuz, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he just kind of diffuses the way Aesop does because he's a, a dangler. He's a hustler. He's a he's a smooth talker somewhere. So he was just like, man, I was just playing with him. I was, you know, hey, but you know, you had to be t- charging white boys more. Like, whatever he said, I don't Something Aesop, we call it Sopian. Like, he just speaking Aesopian. And I was like, all right, we, be, we became best friends. That's how Aesop got in. Then Picasso was with the homie Big G who they were, I believe, I don't know, Picasso went to Humboldt, Big G's from Humboldt. I believe Picasso's somewhere from around Slow, um, San Luis Obispo. They were fucking with each other, making music, and who knows what else, you know, Humboldt. And they had a, a link to a warehouse, and we couldn't sign the lease. I think Big G signed the lease. He was supposed to have a drum place in there, and then we kind of just took over. Eventually, um, Picasso becomes the DJ. Me, Eli, Aesop, Sunspot moves over from where he was staying. We all, Eli, Aesop, Lucky, myself, Grouch, Picasso, all move into this place. Um, this is the outhouse because Mystic Journeyman have a label called Outhouse Records. I think Grouch and Mystic Journeyman are the only ones. There's still divisions. I don't even know if we're living legends yet. So after Europe, they put out a, a song album called a tape called Underworld, and we were the Underworld. And it was Baswan, I believe loosely, me, Eclipse loosely. It was a loose crew. Eli wasn't in yet. Then Eli came along. I don't know when or where Living Legends started. But I think by the time we got to the outhouse, we were living legends. But everyone, I had Veritech Records. Eli had, I don't know, he had his own label. Aesop had his own label. And Grouch and Mystic Journeyman were outhouse records. And it was, in my mind, the goal was outhouse had a fax machine. They had one sheets. They were faxing all over the world. They had a little corner in the outhouse where they had their stock cabinets where all the Mystic Journeyman records and tapes were. And we were all trying to get to that level. 
I was never presented an opportunity to join Outhouse Records, but I thought I could one day. And then Living Legends started and Living Legends kind of became the thing. And everybody did their own thing, but we were still a crew. There was no Living Legends album. Well, we put out, I've, and you can see where this is coming in the chronological order. Eli, Grouch, Mystic Journeyman, Aesop, Picasso, we had all put out all kinds of tapes before there was one Living Legend. It was like Wu-Tang backwards. We had gone crazy solo. Someone, somewhere, I don't know who, decided it was time to come together and make this album. We did one song with a whole crew on it, but even Picasso wasn't rapping in the crew yet. We did one song for the beats and lyrics compilation called Now You Know. The light was on upstairs, we was unprepared for the next event, but the circumstance left a cool sense of surprise. Eyes widened up when some speakers with the talents raised the mic in the clutch, white smack in the middle of it all. We continue with the smidget of patience to deliver. Follow these messages, translated, aided by a flow. My offbeat verse got a lot of props. The song got a lot of props. I was so offbeat that in the shows, I would have to do my verse acapella because it was so fucked up. But it was a good acapella moment, and it gave me a chance to shine. But, it, you know, it's corny. It's like 90s. Like, yo, my man said, holo, holo, kill the beat. My man said. But I, I believe that was a huge vehicle for us to be heard. After that, we got offered the Third Eye Vision Tour. Or not offered, we asked. I don't know who brokered that. I would assume Sunspot or Lucky. Probably via Pep, because Pep Love had been recording with Mystic Journeyman. Shout out to Pep. Whatever City Tour, 1998, Third Eye Vision drops. Their deal is if you can get there, get there. And we can do a whole podcast about that tour. But we still took this tour without having a Living Legends album. That would have been really smart to have one back then. Um, everybody outside trying to sell their own tapes. We all rented an RV, Grouch, and I believe... Picasso were the only people with licenses. Picasso, we rented it in Picasso's name, I'm pretty sure, and we drove around the country doing shows without an album. So, so I don't know what genius decided that it was time, but it was past time for us to do Almost Famous. There's a million stories that go between how we all met and that, but I think I got how everybody came in. Arata was still living. I took a, did, a, did a brief stint living in a... Um, house with Arata and a bunch of Japanese exchange students is where I used to learn to use chopsticks and a little bit of Japanese I know. Um, shout out to Shingo. Uh, his girlfriend lived there and their dog Taisho, which means boss if you hear it on my song, uh, T-O-K-Y-O. Um, I make reference to Taisho because I, I do love dogs and I do like to shout the homies out. I'm sure he's no longer with us, but Taisho was an awesome dog. Yeah, Miho, myself, Arata, Shingo, and Taisho living in Berkeley. And Arata was, that was my brother. Uh, Arata had gone back to Japan for a little while, I think, to get his visa renewed. And uh, I definitely remember like listening to Stevie Wonder crying because I miss my friend. He was, oh man, like we slept on like, you couldn't open the door because Arata's room was like kind of like the attic 
they all lived on the on the attic level, but we were at where the roof kind of came down, so we couldn't stand up in the room. And he had a queen mattress, and I had a queen mattress, and I would have to flip mine up so he could open the door. Or if he wanted to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, he kind of had to step over my head to open the door and get out. But he gave that space to me, never asked me for rent, never, you know, that was my, for all intents and purposes, we were a group at that time because the only song that I had to perform without other people on it was my song with Arata. So we were always performing together, living and exploring life together and finding ways to get people to buy us food or give us rides. Um, and eventually, like I would like, I would buy Arata's food and stuff when we were out because he was letting me live there. But uh, I don't believe he ever had a room at the outhouse. It was a huge warehouse. There was a club, treehouse, clubhouse, kind of in the middle of the room. Picasso built walls and lived under Sunspot. Sunspot, of course, got the treehouse. Lucky had a big room next to my room. Grouch is in Iris' room. Grouch built a little room that was, I think, five and a half feet tall. Grouch is six feet tall, so he couldn't stand up in his room. And I got the five and a half feet. So it was 11-foot ceilings. So Lucky's room was next door. It had 11-foot ceiling. And I could kind of see over my room into his room where he slept with his wife. So I was probably in the atmosphere when his first child was conceived, I believe. Grouch would play beats all night. Uh, right underneath me, and that's how I became or started my journey as an alcoholic because I couldn't sleep without being drunk. There was one bathroom, and early on, I think the first day we moved in, Lucky and Sunspot had a fight, and their huge human beings broke the door, and we couldn't have the landlord come in and fix the door because he uh, would evict us because there weren't supposed to be that many people in the fucking place. So we had no door. Yet and still, women would visit. Women live there. Different women live there at all times. And that is true love. Because there's one bathroom for six to seven men and any other of the women that were visiting us at the time. There were times when we were, um, I know I was, wiping our ass with streamers from the party store that we found. Or fax paper. I shit you not. Pun intended. You have to have a shower. It's kind of like college, but... In, East, in an East Oakland warehouse. There was no heating. Cold Bay Area winters in a fucking warehouse. Other members, when they... Imagine seven people. You have to shit really bad. There were guys... There was a way to climb out of the window of the warehouse and go on the roof. And there was a bucket on the roof where friends of mine had shit on a roof in East Oakland because there were too many people in the bathroom. Starting from the bottom, people. Starting from the bottom, now we're here. I just haven't, like, the fucking Kanye line, I like myself into make, making beats for three summers. So fucking what, bro? So fucking what? I remember hearing, I don't give a shit. Your mom lets you work at the Gap and make beats? And my mom said, you want to rap? Get the fuck out. I don't give a fuck how many summers you made beats in, your, in, the, in the comforts of your own home or worked at the Gap. Motherfucker, please. Make great music. I love I love some of Kanye's music, but that shit was the shit that pissed me off. Started from the bottom. What bottom of what? Uh yeah. Bitter. You can, can you feel it? Can you taste it? Mm. <laughs> but uh, I'm not bitter because I think it, it def I know it made me better. 
like I said, we can go on. There's a video for now, you know, if you want to see the, I think that's one of the few things that has a warehouse in it. I'm finding people that are popping up with VHS tapes that I made MCTV, a documentary series, video magazine series I made, Nat Price footage. Everything in there is borrowed. Nothing is new. I build a ladder to my room that you see on the inside of cover for Rio. I believe we talked about that. From home base in Oakland where they eventually had raves later. Yeah. Should have made the album together sooner, but there was... And I, I will also tell all these stories, like, we were coming from seven very different places. Fresno, Humboldt, some San Luis Obispo, Oakland, you know... Lucky and I from the same neighborhood, but Lucky was a, a star football athlete. Went to Beverly Hills High and then transferred to Hamilton. Like, just different, different, different people. Grout, Eli, Scarab. Scarab wasn't even there yet. That's another. Wow, yeah, Scarab was still in school. He had just started at San Jose State. Grouch, the oldest of four children from Oakland, with a single mom that's a teacher, Eli, I believe her, his mother, single mothers, sang backup for Angela Davis at one point. I don't know, man. Auntie Joe's another person that looked out for me. Heavy shout out to her. Uh, we were just a bunch of men, young men, coming together from very diverse backgrounds to make it. And making it for us wasn't fucking platinum. It was just making dope hip beat to be dope and make a living at being dope to literally be. Living legends, 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 legends. I think that's the episode. Next week, we'll start talking about the album. What would you do if we put it all together in the form of living legends on the album all together? Would you buy it? Would you try it? Would you raise your hands high? Would you recommend performing for something that's so enormous? Why fighting is right about now. You take it over, why fighting is right about now. You show who you is the best of our abilities and showcase ability is tucked into your memory for all right, so here's the corrections uh, for this episode. The Living Legends album is not out, which continues the theme of me being somewhat estranged and out of the loop. But the merch looks amazing. Make sure you tap in, order your bundle. I believe it's still llcrew.com. I don't believe I will benefit financially from any of this, yet I encourage it wholly and completely. The merch looks amazing. Album, I was told by Grouch, should be here in about three more weeks. So get ready. There's a new single out for you guys to check out. Hopefully you're following Living Legends on Spotify, Apple Music, all that. And as far as the story goes, when we are in Europe for about two or three weeks, um, 96, we also stayed with, uh, I forget, it means Eagle, Arun, Arun, something in, in Dutch, I think. He stayed at his house and... Um, I think that's where he met Sources of Special Men, but I could be mistaken. But somehow I ended up on a record, and I never heard it until recently. And they put it out on vinyl, a reissue. And a shout out to Dom, because she brought a copy to the show in Portland and gave me that record. I didn't get a chance to cop one on vinyl, my first appearance on Wax ever in 96. I still haven't even listened to it. I'm scared. And the guy had, he was a dude I met who had learned English solely through hip-hop and watching the X-Files, I believe. He had all these X-Files VHS tapes, so we watched a lot of those. Ate some oily balls and bumper cars. Played bumper cars in Amsterdam in the, in the, in the town center. There was, a, in the plots or whatever they call it, was a, a, a fair and carnival. And 
a lot of my merch money got spent on these things called oily balls, fried pieces of dough. And then the bumper cars seemed like they went faster out there. Like, Americans need to kick it up a notch on the bumper cars. So, of course, you know, we were early 20s. I'm a teenager having fun. I didn't smoke weed, but I played, I, ran, I rode the bumper cars a lot, or most memorable times. Or in Amsterdam, we're not buying moon pies from the Bulldog Cafe, but bumper cars. I think that's all for the corrections this episode. Oh, when we were asking promoters, it wasn't us going to the shows. And when I listened back to the podcast, it sounded like we were asking the American acts to open up for them. No, we would go straight to the promoters and ask them if it was okay for us to open up. And they would believe us, like I said, because we are Black Americans. And so, of course, we're with the band. Then some of the acts went, go out of their way to hate on us and not let us open. And I never understood that. If the promoter's saying it's okay and there's space for us to open, why? what the fuck does the concern does it make to you, with you? And I wasn't one of these dudes who would try to run up on the artists and show them my deal. I didn't give a fuck about me. None of these motherfuckers. I want to meet your fans. That's why it always weirds me out when MCs want to meet me and hang out backstage and impress me. Like, there are 152,000 people out front that love rap. Go talk to them. I was never trying to get backstage to meet an artist. It's so weird. Um, you know, India, that's over oh, there. was like nights in Hamburg. There was a night in Hamburg I didn't talk about, but we just met a girl who let us all stay at her place. Like, we would just go places and meet someone. Like, Can we spend the night at your house? <laughs> We're Americans. And I was somebody in the crew, I won't say who, smoked all this girl's weed because they roll spliffs in Europe and that's tobacco or marijuana. And the homie was like, nah, we're from the States. We just want to smoke pure weed. And so by the next morning, all the weed was gone and she was thoroughly a the ganja, the ganja. He smoked all the ganja. And it's a lot harder to come by, I'm assuming, in in uh Hamburg than in the than in the Bay. So I felt her pain, but with different cultural differences. Thanks for listening to the Best Rapper in L.A. podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is. If you like the show, leave a review on Apple Music or Spotify. And to support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash M-U-R-S 316, March 316. See y'all next week. Peace. Peace.